Hello and welcome to Counterpressed on Spotify and The Ringer. We are back, baby. Woo-hoo. Guys, you're being so loud right now. <laughs> I'm not ready. Are you feeling fragile? <laughs> yeah. We got to come back with a bang because we've been on break for like three, four weeks, and um, that was actually so good of us just give us give ourselves Pride Month off. And you know, like Licky, love that for us. Licky, like Nicki Minaj would say, <laughs> the people are talking. I didn't know that <laughs> Okay, that was, that was a, just me. <laughs> um, yes, we're back for the World Cup, and the hectic chaos is going to begin basically from now. Uh, we are going to be... We never all, stopped. Well, it did never stop online, for sure, although Elon Musk did his best to try and <laughs> shut us down over the weekend. Um, but we obviously took a little bit of a break from the podcast feed, but now we are returning. It's going to be non-stop action because we obviously have this app today. We're going to have another app coming out late this week, which is going to be very fun. So keep your eyes peeled for that. Um, and... Also, lots of World Cup content, lots of World Cup previews over the next two weeks. And then throughout the World Cup, we're basically recording every day at points. We're, like There are some days off we'll have, but it's like at least three days a week for you guys. So strap yourselves in because it's going to be a wild ride. Because you're going to be so sick of us. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I hate the sound of our voices. Jesse is going to be podding from... Australia from down under. When are you flying out, JPH? Fly out on the 19th, land on the 21st, straight into England, Haiti on the 22nd. That's um, sweet, sweet time difference. It really gets you, doesn't it? Yeah, I'm actually like so stressed about how tired I'm going to be. Where's your layover? Uh, Taipei. Oh, I did know that, yes, because yeah, which... you thought that it would be interesting. <laughs> well, how much I, time do you get? I've got four hours, but. Australia Island is on during my layover, so I probably will just watch that. But I did some research and they have a special like Hello Kitty like thing in the terminal with loads of Hello Kitty. Did you pick Taipei because of the Hello Kitty? No, but that is exactly what I thought I would get from somewhere like Taipei. Whereas if I stopped in like Dubai Dubai or Qatar, I was like, meh. Also, sometimes you can spend like 40 quid just to get like a half day access to a lounge. You could go I've to the lounge looked that up. <laughs> and yes. watch the Island Australia game. That would be sick. That's with basically your Hello my Kitty plan. Merch. With some Hello Kitty ears. <laughs> free drinks, free food. You probably can have a shower in there if you wanted to. It'd be great. Can but you buy me something from the Hello Kitty shop? Sure, Thank yes. You. Uh, I did talk to my friend who lives in Taipei and explained this theory about being excited. And she was like... Why? <laughs> she was like, are you okay? <laughs> but the flight was also cheaper as well. So. Mm. Great. So Jesse is going to be podding from the other side of the world. Which, from the Taipei Hello <laughs> Kitty lounge. Which is going to be hilarious. <laughs> Becky and I will be in the studio. We're going to have some special guests rolling through throughout the tournament. And then Becky and I go out to Oz in August at slightly different times. You're a little bit before me, aren't you? Yeah, we just we timed it just a little bit badly. I know, we probably should have synced up. Yeah, I go out on the 3rd, I arrive on the 5th. And I go out on the 7th and arrive yeah. on the 9th. yeah. Anyway, we'll cross that bridge. Uh, but it's going to be your layovers. Mine uh, is in Dubai. I think Boring. Doha. Yeah. Boring. Boring. Sorry. <laughs> I think so. I can't remember, but that sounds about right. I'll buy you a present from the Dubai airport too. <laughs> okay, great. Won't but, be as good as the one you get from the shop. <laughs> on the way back, I am set to do, but I may ch- might change my flight. 
I'm set to do the straight through flight. The direct, oh, direct one. So you stop to you're refuel. Not allowed, you're not allowed to get off the plane. But you don't get yeah. off. It's like and a horror film. That's why I was. I was like, I saw that and I was like, no. But it was so cheap. It was seven hundred quid. So that's why I booked it. But now twenty five hours. You can't re- get off the plane. I kind of regret it. I didn't like change that. my flight <laughs> and pay more. It's, it's actually stressing me out. Go buy because a Taipei. Like, you're, I'll review it for you and then you can decide. <laughs> you're, all, you're, you're behind the window. You're, the, the, you're behind the glass and you can see the terminal, but you're stuck inside the plane. No, I don't like that. It's horrible. That's awful. <laughs> no, I'm really glad. Now that we're talking about it, really glad I didn't do that. I know, I regret I think I think I will change my flight. That's enough logistics chat. You guys know I love logistics, but we actually have to talk about some football. There has been a lot of stuff in the news over the last couple of weeks. We're going to get to some of that. We're going to get to quite a lot of that. We're going to start with England's friendly against Portugal that was on the weekend. Bit of an odd game, but probably nothing to panic about, but we're going to get stuck into that. We're going to talk about a big story that broke this morning, an investigation that The Athletic have done in relation to Ireland head coach Vera Powell. So we're going to talk about that. We also are going to talk about the Alex Morgan statue because... Obviously, why not? There's also been some big news around the Jamaica women's national team, the South Africa women's national team, and the Nigeria women's <laughs> national team. So, so we're just naming all of the teams in the we World have, Cup at we this ha- point. We have a lot to discuss, guys. <laughs> so why not? Let's just get stuck into it after this. Right, so England's friendly against Portugal slash Becky Taylor Gill's birthday party. Mm-hmm. What a day. Slash pride. Huge. Slash pride. Huge Lots day. Lots going there on. There was so much going slash on. Slash the ashes. Slash the ashes. Yeah. God. Women's and men's ashes and on the same day. It was really a busy day. We watched all the football, all the cricket, and then had a great night. And then had a massive night What out. a day. Firstly, shout out to everyone that made it to Milton Keynes. Judging by Tim Stillman's Twitter, it was hellish uh, getting there because he was posting a lot about how badly it was organised and everyone was kind of stuck outside trying to get in for ages. So hats off to those of you that did make it. I think we all learned from the Euros that Milton Keynes is uh, not, you know... Excuse me, I loved it. I loved it as well. It's a bit of... Biggest, it's a, it's biggest a pain. That I was actually quite upset to not be able to go back... Because I loved the big Asda. Yeah, but well, I didn't go in it. So <gasps> I'm, you need to go. All I know, it's, it's got like its own like food, like hot food bits in, like a little market. Yeah, I mean, but it's let, my let's be real. Like, obviously, we love the Asda, but let's be real. It's really difficult to get to and annoying to get to. It is annoying also to get quite, to. It's quite. I quite like the. Stadium. It's like going on a school trip because you have to get a bus from town. <laughs> well, Flo drove us last time and we walked. From okay, well. Me and Ashna and Alex got the bus from town. Well, Sorry, you had to get the bus. But still, <laughs> even in, in the car, the car park was a nightmare. Anyway, I said no more logistics <laughs> chat. Um, there, there was a little bit of panic, which we always do get with England not winning games, but especially not winning games before a major tournament. Tom Gary made the point about that defeat to New Zealand in Brighton, which was generally one of the worst matches I've ever been to. It was so bleak and the goal that England conceded was so bad and they were so bad that day. So we do need to put some context when around. Was before the last World Cup? Before 2019 yeah, World Cup, Brighton. yeah. No recollection. Send-off game in Brighton. It was um, oh, I do not one for the memory bank. No. Um, well, clearly not. <laughs> it's important. It's important to provide that context, and you know that's that's the point Tom was making is that we don't need to panic. I think there were frustrations about the performance, and we've talked about England dominating games and not finishing chances before. 
But Jesse, maybe the slight relief about this game, and you know, you definitely focused on this and kind of your analysis is at least England created chances, which was something they struggled to do in that awful game against Australia a few months ago. Yeah, I think I feel kind of neutral about it. Like, it's, It'd be silly to go away and feel like super positive, I think, about a nil-nil draw with Portugal. But I think it's very easy off the back of the Euros to be like, oh, England were this like amazing, world-beating team. And I know Becky and I were talking about the Netherlands game. And obviously that was like a really amazing sort of second half, last half hour, which got everyone really excited. And, and justifiably so, I understand that. But like the first half was so bad. We went into the start of a group stage against Austria, where I didn't think we looked that good. Um, we probably could have scored more, but like ultimately it was a bit of a cagey 1-0 win. And I think it's natural when you've then won a tournament to look back and feel like that we must have been really amazing. And I don't don't really think that was the case. I, I do think it's reasonable to be like, look, none of these players have played football for like a month. They're kind of trying out new things, new relationships on the pitch. There was quite a lot of shuffling around, even, you know, changing at half time. And I actually thought the changes at half time really like livened the game up and the second half was a lot better but equally you're still only giving those that initial formation 45 minutes to play with each other um and I think on another day England like probably win this comfortably 3-0 uh so obviously it's nerve-wracking because you can't tournament football the nature of it is you don't get that kind of longer term sense that maybe you do with club football whereby if a team plays well you're like okay there might be some matches where it doesn't go your way, but over time, like, it's probably going to come good for you. Obviously, you don't get that time when you're only going to play, what, like, seven games maximum. But I thought I thought England were good, and I thought they were, like, promising things, even if the scoreline didn't reflect that. I think I, I, I definitely agree with you. Um, but I we, talked, we looked at the XG before we came on today's show, 4.2, so shows that... England created really good chances and there are quite a few that stand out. The Lauren Hemp header, both of Alessia Russo's chances. I think the the only slight concern from me is just the form of the strikers. We know Delhi's had a really good domestic season, but I think confidence and potentially Alessia Russo's lack of is the only thing I'm a little bit f- fearful of. And with that... With Daly, England was so one-dimensional. It was just trying to get crosses in constantly and they create opportunities from it. Now, the benefit of putting Russo on is it was much more dynamic. You had James drifting in and trying to play Russo in behind and those runs were just stretching Portugal way more and then you had the width of Hemp and Kelly as well. So England looked a lot better in the second half, but I still am kind of fearful of... When are when is Russo especially going to find that rhythm again in front of goal? Because it wasn't the best season for her at Manchester United. And it's a shame that England aren't going to get as many warm-up games as they'd probably like. They've got that warm-up game against Canada coming up, which is going to be behind closed doors. But I am just a little bit worried about the form here. Um the, the chances were all really good, so I'm not concerned about them creating things. It's just like, we need to finish them to really make me feel a little bit better. Yeah, and I don't think that's solely on the strikers because I know Rousseau didn't necessarily have like an amazing second half of the season, but I still think her goal tally is, is fine. 
Um, and I think she had some really good moments and I think it kind of feels clear that the the stuff around her contract and where she's moving probably took its toll on her and it will be interesting to see when that's all resolved if that feels like it's kind of lifted off her shoulders a bit and I will say like we went and watched them train at St George's Park and she looked looked very very good she looked really good and that made me like you can't take loads from training obviously but we were both sitting there thinking oh wow like this is great yeah and then it's obviously it's so different putting that into action in a game but um yeah it's it's almost like I don't know if there's a pressure that she suddenly feels now when she steps on the pitch because her role is different and everyone's been talking about her for basically six or seven months. Yeah, but what I think what I was going to say as well, though, is what I also kind of feel is maybe the problem Rousseau has is she's not, and maybe this is just generally England's problem, is that Hemp and Kelly and even Lauren James, I think to a certain extent, and Ella Toon, you can maybe put in this camp too, aren't, none of them are like these clinical goal threats and also I think that's something that's really underrated in terms of missing Fran Kirby because not only is she a very creative exciting player she's a very clinical finisher and I think that offered England something extra in terms of the threat they had even though she didn't actually score loads at the Euros but for example like the Northern Ireland game I know it didn't really matter but she was the one who sort of broke the deadlock there and really got England going and I actually think maybe the issue is is not per se that it should all be on Rousseau, but England have... And, and I think, again, this is the problem with having a World Cup so soon after the Euros, is like these are all very, very young players and it's reasonable to say like they are going to develop more. But I feel like all of those players behind Rousseau, and maybe even Rousseau herself, you can say about all of them, they need to offer more from the positions they get into with scoring rather than just chance creation because... That forces teams to think differently about how they set up against you. And it just relieves the pressure on everyone if you know you're kind of one of a set of four or five players. Obviously, they all can score, but like none of them are these incredibly deadly goal-scoring wingers or attacking midfielders. Isn't there a case then to say, and you probably wouldn't see this even in a friendly unless you're winning 20-0, but Bethany England kind of suits that role of she gives you a little bit of what Daly was doing in that first half and she can run in behind and be aggressive like Russo can be so maybe that becomes the plan C but it just feels like well if you start Daly in the first half of games or you start Daly and Russo together which we didn't really work against Australia when is Beth Ingen going to get in the picture but she could actually be the solution to that yeah I think the problem is is I just feel like Clearly, England is Wiegmann's third choice. Yeah. And yeah, I agree. Like, I, for all of Daly's like goal scoring exploits, which I applaud her on this season, I would, I think Bethany England's the more well rounded striker. And probably fits England's system better. Yeah. Um, but then at the same time, equally, you could say Chloe Kelly and Lauren Hemp have spent the season playing with Bunny Shaw, who I would say probably is more comparable to Rachel Daly than say someone like Alessia Russo is so then there's the argument of saying well does Daly fit how Hemp and Kelly want to play better and we saw that in the first half it was a lot of kind of spamming crosses which you know maybe Daly should have done done better with some of those opportunities Um, I just generally feel like 
there is more time. Maybe that's like naive of me and the the Canada game is going to be weird because it's going to be behind closed doors. We're not going to get a sense of it. But equally, you would you would look at England's group and you would think in a tournament situation, they should win those games. And that will also give them to, the time to get in a rhythm around how Wiegmann wants them to play. I was going to say there's no better group they could have had at an opening game than the Haiti game, which will probably be a very nice shooting practice opportunity because the the gap is going to be huge in that game. And Haiti do have some impressive young attacking players, but it's going to be a hell of a task, especially as they are one of many federations in this tournament who are under-resourced, not being supported. You know, the list goes on for, for some of the federations, but that is a great opportunity for England just to like get some goals in them and just feel confident and start to build their rhythm because when you put all the context around it watching that game like you said Jesse it makes sense if you haven't played a competitive match as a team since that Australia game which was what like March yeah April April, April yeah so you would kind of expect that and i think there's still the pieces of the puzzle like that Wiegmann's working out that that maybe makes me a little bit more con- a little bit concerned is that like there are still quite a few different options that she could look to and maybe that's uh, there comes a point where you really want to know like what your team's going to be but it's going to be a different World Cup for her than the Euros because she's probably going to have to switch things around but that makes it harder every single time the team does come out and play because they're having to make those adjustments where they didn't have to do that in the Euros. Yeah, although then the the flip side as well is is maybe the risk would have been if you went in with the same team in the Euros that everyone kind of knows how you're going to play knows what you're going to do um, and that makes it easier for them to kind of set up against you. Like I feel like Laura James was a great example of just a player who teams who haven't played against her before really, really struggled to deal with. And we saw towards the end of the WSL that maybe she wasn't effective because teams were figuring out how better to, to target her, to um, to ensure she wasn't as, as effective. And maybe that was also like a tiredness thing. But I thought like she was one of England's standout players both on the right and actually I think especially in, in the more central role that she played in the second half. And it's very easy. And, and I understand why every, every, the shadow of the Euros hangs over everything, but it has surprised me just like how negative. So like when people are talking about... It's England, oh, Jesse. People are... Eng- <laughs> English know, football know, fans but, are so negative. Come on. this is what I'm here to push back against. And if England go out at the group stages, then whatever, then we can have that conversation. Um but, like, it's just, it's mental to me that, like, for example, I think Ellen White's a great player. I understood why she started in the Euros. But everyone went through the Euros saying, Ellen White's rubbish and she doesn't do anything. And we have to wait 55 minutes before Alessia Russo can come on. And now it's like, oh, no, Ellen White's retired. What do we do? And I'm like, come on, guys. Like, why is everyone's memory so short? It's football, man. That's just what happens. But, yeah, I agree with you. I think Lauren James was a bright spark and much needed, especially after a few disappointing performances for England and I think a disappointing end of the season, like you say. And things just kind of seem to slow down for her. And I think that she she is lined up for a huge World Cup and she looked confident on the ball on Saturday. She was willing to take risks and to, 
to travel with the ball and to hold things up for England, which was so important. And people got excited seeing her and that's what you want. And I think it could go really well for it this World Cup, fingers crossed. Anyway, there is so much we've got to get stuck into on this first episode back. So let's talk about the big story that broke just today around Vera Powell, head coach of the Ireland women's national team. So story in The Athletic, Monday morning, Sunday night that broke, uh, Steph Yang and Sarah Shepard with a massive investigation that they've done about Vera Powell, the Ireland national team coach who has coached in the NWSL. She was also coach of the Netherlands women's team. And she was referenced in the NWSL's recent report around uh, abusive coaches and investigation into um, allegations around several co- coaches in the league following uh, the the athletic investigation to Paul Riley. The NWSL have done a lot to try and look at some of the behaviour and the culture within the league. So Vera Powell was mentioned in that and she denies all the allegations around it. But the Athletic have followed up by investigating the specific time period in which Vera Powell was head coach of the Houston Dash in 2018. They spoke to several former players and assistants who had worked with Vera Powell during that time. And the allegations that they did put to Vera Powell herself, they include comments about players' size, weight and what they were eating, um, abusive, bullying behaviour that sometimes turned aggressive, uh, total control that Vera Powell wanted to have on training methods, meal plans, injury protocols, um, the way that she referenced certain cultures and countries, labelling Americans extremely selfish and England play- English players extremely confrontational. Uh, she did that during a PowerPoint presentation. Weight training and extra running uh, outside of Pearl's training sessions were banned. Um, numerous players felt they were not able to maintain their fitness under Pearl's regime um, and it felt like Pearl was always watching. Now, this has been something that's been brewing for a while given the fact that Vera Powell was um, investigated in the NWSL or mentioned in the NWSL's report as well as comments from a former player within the Irish national team set up and their parent. So, you know, for a lot of people this isn't new but the fact that it's come out a few weeks before we start this tournament and we now are going to watch this head coach lead a team at the tournament and we have to say, again, Vera Powell denies all these allegations. She puts comments in the piece and the FAI have also already in the past released a statement saying that they completely back her and support her. So it's very unlikely we're going to see any kind of follow-up or action. So we will, you know, be seeing Vera Powell lead on this tournament. But it just feels quite uncomfortable, frankly, preparing to watch a tournament in which you read all these allegations in this lengthy piece, which is brilliantly done, and definitely go and read it. And then you're like, right, let me just strap in for the opening game of Australia <laughs> versus Ireland. Like, I don't know about you guys, but it just feels like wrong frankly yeah I I've always kind of thought it's amazing that she's in that job but these these things are very situational it's always very hard to know what's going on in um in specific environments and obviously the FAI 
feel happy with the job she's done. I would be very intrigued as to how much that's related to the results she's obviously managed to get in terms of getting them to the World Cup. Um, and there's obviously kind of been some controversies around her selection for that World Cup and, and things like that. Um, but honestly, the main thing that stands out is the brazenness of the comments that she makes within the piece, which are honestly like nothing I've ever seen in terms of just pure ego on her part. Um, and the lack of self-awareness is unbelievable. And I don't think she's done herself any favours by commenting on it. I feel sorry for the island players in terms of like, this coming out before the World Cup, but equally, like I think it's important to know that these allegations have been made, and like it, it when the initial NWSL investigation came out, I thought the way Ireland sort of just went, we're fine with it, like whatever, was felt very short sighted on on their part, and I think it's you know important to see. Um, to see more detail around that. I think probably the most like insidious element of her defense is about this idea that she gets seen differently because she's a woman in coaching and that these kind of like aggressive behaviors would be wouldn't be seen as such or the behaviors are being seen as aggressive because she's a woman and they wouldn't be the case if she was a guy, which I also think is a very conflicted defence because it feels like in saying that she's kind of like admitting the, what the the players then said. And I'm like, okay, maybe you think guys get away with that, but that doesn't mean that's a positive environment for footballers to be in either. It's a really like strange choice of defence. And her responses are very victim blamey uh, at the people that have accused her or shared their experiences. And she responds to a lot of them by saying that she was merely trying to do them a favour uh, in many ways and trying to be a supporting person. And their experiences are very different to what she says she did. And yeah, it is that the, the defence consistently is... What about women coaches? What about us? We're constantly trying to be cancelled. We're being abused by we're, players. We're being abused by players. Players are swearing at us. What about us? And I think it, it's it's frustrating because it's a it's a really toxic argument and a toxic road to go down in an environment right now where we are, where players are still suffering from abuse from coaches and the the game is still not protecting players and you have someone sort of flipping the argument and saying, well, actually, the coaches are the ones being abused and we're the ones who need support. And her and her legal counsel are currently in the process of trying to sort of reopen the NWSL report and do another investigation because they don't believe it was handled properly. But it's it's a really sort of to yeah a really toxic way to begin this tournament in which you know people I think whether in her words you know she denies the allegations but I think there is in many ways just a lack of responsibility I think that um, people in football want to take because whether it's ego or power or whatever they they people are very reluctant to put their hands up and say, you know, this needs to be better, this needs to change. And it's always the players that end up suffering as a result. And we're sort of seeing that in the case of one of the players that 
Steph and Sarah spoke to who got an eating disorder as a result of their experiences with her as a coach. And there is never any references or an apology or anything like that. It's simply, you know, why weren't her friends looking out for her? It's 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 baffling. It's baffling when you when you read through the whole piece that it's just it's just so sort of so ignorant, so ignorant. There's no self awareness here. She's in her own little world, and it does make you quite concerned for the people working with her or the people she might work with in the future if these allegations are true, and. It was a controversial squad selection as well. There were key players who were left out of it. And I think that will brew on throughout the tournament. And, you know, perhaps they may, they may you know, comment on things at some point. We don't know. But it's certainly uh, uh, an interesting one, shall we say. Yeah, I think it'll be very interesting to see what PAL and the FI, FAI's reaction to this is because it, feel, it does feel like something they might have to react to. Um, but equally, given that the whole piece involves her sort of doubling down on, on everything that's alleged against her, uh, it could be an interesting one to see how they handle. Yeah, so do head to the Athletic to check that piece out because it is a, a very powerful and important investigation. Some other big stories we've got to talk about, and it's a theme that comes up every World Cup, every major tournament around the lack of resources, the lack of support that national women's teams are getting. A few weeks ago, we saw Jamaica's women's team come together to post statements about the fact that they weren't being supported in the lead up to the World Cup. They mentioned warm-up games that didn't happen uh, and they were asking for immediate and systematic change at the Jamaican Football Federation. There is currently a crowdfund set up to try and support the players heading to the World Cup because there is a huge gaping financial gap there and we're still waiting to see whether they will have the funds um, and who knows what their preparations have been like. There's also a huge situation going on between the Nigerian Football Federation, the players and the head coach, Randy Waldrum. We've seen disputes between players uh, in the, and the Nigerian Football Federation before, whether it was Olympic Games, in the men's game and with the women's players. Waldrum recently told press that the team were meant to have a training camp in Nigeria before heading to Australia. That never happened. Um, he got in a lot of trouble for talking to the press about the issues his team were facing and the fact he also referenced a player that the Federation were trying to make him pick and he didn't want to pick her. Anyway, they have now hit back and uh, criticised him and basically saying that, um, you know, he's lying about certain things and they aren't true. So there's a lot of tension there. And again, the people who are suffering are the players. This is their World Cup. This is their tournament that they're heading to in a couple of weeks. But it's just a reminder, really, um, of as much as we're excited about the tournament and we all think it's going to be a great tournament, there is always, always issues around player support and a lack of resources and a reminder of the huge inequalities that exist in women's football where we have a England team where every sort of inch of preparation is catered for and they have some of the best sports scientists and the best camp and team and support staff around them and you have certain teams who still have nothing and you know are having to train in parks and not getting the support we need that not not getting the support they need and i think also this tournament 
I don't know how you guys feel, but the, it just adds also to the chaotic vibes around this tournament because there's been so many elements which have been so last minute, whether it's the TV rights or sponsorship or other elements, you know, friendlies being confirmed, the release windows for players. This is just yet an example where it's like, we're weeks away, guys. We shouldn't be in this position. Yeah, and you reference England obviously having it good, but there's you know been a story out today about England complaining about bonuses from from the FA, and really you can just rack up almost every single federation going to this tournament as having had disputes with with their players in in the lead up to it, and obviously those things are kind of at, at different magnitudes depending on on what we're talking about. Um, but I think what it shows is how rightly um women's footballers across the world still feel deeply undervalued and and deservedly deeply suspicious i think of their their federations and and their motivations and i've been thinking a lot about you know sort of legacy and you know the questions that come up about what what does what is this world cup going to do what does like the world cup mean and i think what's frustrating is sometimes we are so constantly fixated on the future and the future of women's football that it's easy to ignore the right now, not in terms of like these specific issues being ignored, but it feels almost foolish to be sitting around thinking about legacy and future when it's like, no, this needs to be, there are, there are issues here that, that are being resolved and we only see this stuff kind of come up once every four years because the World Cup can be such a such a touch point for these things um for these issues it becomes very clear and you know teams can can sort of make use of the press but i feel like we need a lot bigger focus throughout you know the tournament cycle in terms of why teams aren't being supported and and calling out federations and i hope that the focus that that we've seen at this world cup is um pushes federations to be better around it but I think we've repeatedly seen whether it's federations whether it's FIFA that, that lots of these institutions just don't really care that they look bad when it when it comes to these things and maybe continuous World Cups will change that but I just think it's it's just so tiring to be going to another international tournament whereby it almost feels like it's getting worse I don't know whether that's just because there's more focus on these things that is more press for it that feels more overwhelming more teams feel able to come forward but the the list of countries that you can reel off who have either been forced to resolve disputes within the past year or are currently engaging in disputes it's like it becomes too many to discuss on a podcast there's generally not enough time because we haven't even it, talked about quicker to do the ones that haven't yeah, exactly. <laughs> and and that's only what we know about as well, right? Because I think we can safely assume there's probably a whole host of other things that we don't know about. And yeah, it's tr I just feel sorry for the players because I'm just like, it's fucking exhausting to be having to constantly be in a fight with the people who are supposed to be supporting you when you're also trying to like train to be a professional athlete for one of the biggest moments of your career. And you're like embroiled in basically labour disputes. Yeah, it's just basically constantly an argument with your boss and so you can't do any work because that's all you can think about all it's the time. It's also, there's teams who might not ever make it to another World Cup and this is their one opportunity to do well and they also have to fight this battle at the same time which obviously takes a lot of energy away from just concentrating on this big moment. 
Yeah, definitely. And I'm sure we'll have more updates as these things kind of continue to rumble on. A few things before we go. Alexia Pateas's pink hate hair. It. I hate it as well. What's the roots doing? Like it's, it's messy. It's giving. I did it at always home. Been it's like it's like with she, a bowl from Superdrug. It's like she got it done like a like a month ago. Maybe she did, and we just haven't seen it. Maybe she's been, she's been a hiding. But it's just what are you doing, babe? Like I want to love it. Do you think it's going to stay for the whole tournament, or do you think she's going to go back? You think it's a phase? Well, I don't know. We were talking this morning about how we never got to find out whether she was going to keep those fake eyelashes on for the Euros because <laughs> she did her ACL. And that's just another thing that ACL injuries have robbed us of. Good eyelashes. Um, but yeah, uh, I like the suggestion. Sorry, I can't remember who tweeted this. Uh, but that because Rapino's gone blue. They're going to have a rainbow. That they're going to do a, a rainbow. Um, Could be fun. Yeah. Um, who would you nominate from England to go for like oh. I don't know the green uh, someone put on Twitter a st- uh, Instagram story screenshot of Katie McCabe and she's having her hair dyed and whoever's put the, the story up it they'd cut out the at was like going green for the for the World Cup shut <laughs> up she but put that like green I mean I would back Katie McCabe to, to I can't do imagine it. that she's too much of but a green. I don't think she so would anyway, do that so anyway Katie McCabe's got green <laughs> um, who from England maybe Millie Bright well yeah. she was captain I could see that so what colour are we giving her blue's already taken blue orange. pink oh yeah it's a tough one that, that's why it made sense for Rapino and Pateas to get in early <laughs> yeah, get the, get the colours. colours and then another thing which this feels like it happened two weeks ago that is how quickly the discourse is changing but Alex Morgan's statue. I back it. I back it. It's awful, Wow, we guys. are so in sync on Discord. Like, come on. I agree with Pateas' pink hair. I think it, it Hate looks Hate Alexia's scrappy, pink hair. Love gigantic statues of Alex Morgan. <laughs> the Alex Morgan statue is... We love Alex Morgan I don't Morgan get why you don't. I love Alex Morgan. You know I do, but it's so ridiculous. Why is it? I think it's funny. Because it's so, like, what? You, if you can't give me one good reason why you hate it... Because... I just think it's so embarrassing to dress up Alex Morgan as the Statue of Liberty and build a life-size statue of it. I think it's bigger than life-size. I think we should have got um, one of the England girls on Nelson's column. But here's the question, right? We've been complaining that like there's not enough promo for the World Cup. Like this, that's good promo. (laughs) Like like what more can you do? Like I mean, I take that argument uh, maybe, but Americans are annoying. Discourse starter right here. They should have used the money that they spent on Alex Morgan's statue and donated to the Jamaican girls. Crowdfunder. <laughs> okay, agreed. Um, question though, what would you guys do as the English equivalent? You mentioned Nelson's column. If we were putting England players, statues of England players somewhere in the UK, in niche town centres, their local areas, where what would you be doing? Leo Williams is on top of the Milton Keynes house. <laughs> <laughs> she can just stand there because she can't go to the World Cup. Yeah. You stay there for a month, babe. <laughs> um, I just feel like I don't know enough statues in the UK because you can't really make them into other landmarks. Oh, okay. What about, I'm sticking with Trafalgar Square because we are by Trafalgar Square. This is probably why it's really in my head. But the lions around mm. oh. Nelson's column... If put them in put them in England shirts with the names on the back. No, if you put someone's oh, face, that would be terrifying. <laughs> like, like a Colin the caterpillar cake. Ooh, you know, when his face is yeah. just really stuck on That would on be the, absolutely terrifying. England 
Lioness's face. I that would make sense because that's where they celebrated winning the Euros too. A exactly. giant Mary And it's a feminist face. comment on why the lions <laughs> around Trafalgar Square are Or oh, do you remember that era in Trafalgar Square where they had like rotating performance artists who would just stand on, the on a column? Plinth. Yeah. Let's put Leah Williamson in a hovering box above the Thames for the whole... <laughs> like <month>. David Blaine. <laughs> <laughs> she's got nothing else to do. I'm here for that. That sounds great. I mean, I'm sure she's got some rehab to do, but... She could do it in the box. <laughs> yeah, just make exactly. it a really big box. It'd be great physio. Just make sure you're drilled because you've nothing else to do. Well, that's, um, I think, all we've got time for today. On the 9th of July, this coming Sunday, we're doing a live show in Manchester at the National Football Museum. It's going to be a laugh and a half. So Right now, the only people that we know are coming are my dad and my sister. So, so buy your tickets. For God's sake, that. make sure yeah. you join us. That's nice. So, yeah, you should come along if you're one of our northern-based listeners. If you're not, then you should come along anyway. Then piss off. So, yes, make sure you get your tickets and also go around the museum because they've got some very cool special exhibits at the moment. So we will see, hopefully, some of you on the 9th of July. This coming Thursday, very exciting, we have a special episode dropping with the one, the only... Rachel Daly. We've been sitting on this for a while, guys. It's very exciting, but it's a, a, a packed special. It's like, what, nearly an hour long? Yeah. We chatted for a very long time. We went up to Birmingham. You may have seen in our socials, we had a big day out in Birmingham. That wasn't just for a fun day. <laughs> it wasn't just so we could go to that crazy pub. We went and did a sit down with Rachel Daly. It was really good fun. We talked to her about so many different things. So that is dropping on Thursday. So make sure you are ready on the feed for that one but for now we'll see you all soon thanks for listening